0: Dennis Sarfate making his first appearance.
1: What will you do to defend the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of
0: happiness?
1: Welcome to the Green Dragon Tavern, where we talk a little treason. I'm Zach Lautenschlager. And I'm
0: Dennis Sarfate.
1: This week, H.R. 185 is up for a vote in Congress. No more VAX mandates for foreign travelers, uh, sponsored by Thomas Massey. And he's been acquiring quite the list of uh, co-sponsors. As the bill is debated, it's fascinating to see the arguments, especially from the Democrats. Um, This bill removes the requirement for non-citizens to be vaccinated before they can enter or visit the U.S. Now, that may sound interesting, but as Massey has pointed out, we're the only developed nation in the world that still requires a vaccine in order to enter the country, or at least we are one of the very few. You can talk about Europe, you can talk about Japan even, and they're not requiring it.
0: Yeah, it's a So it's definitely a different spot to be in right now as a country to to be the only one still requiring it for foreigners to come visit. Um I know Japan dropped theirs because of that's their money maker, right? And uh yeah. you don't let people yep. in your country, then you're going to have a lot of issues.
1: Well, exactly. The we can talk about whether or not the federal government, you know, what they what requirements they should be placing to enter the country. Obviously, that's a legitimate f- uh, role for the federal government itself. What's absurd is the federal government thinking that it's okay to mandate um, a treatment that is still experimental. Um, and we have to remember that this is the last vestige of a federal government Uh, of federal government policy over the last two years that was being applied to U.S. citizens. Um, We all remember, I am sure, that uh, Joe Biden attempted through the Department of Labor to mandate that all employees with all in companies with over 100 employees require every single um, employee to get the vaccine. Um, That's, it just, it blows my mind to this day. Now, praise God, that we're, we're not sitting here with, uh, with that kind of policy still uh, active. It was struck down, um, as has been the, the military vax mandate. But now the absurdity of saying that we're going to force people who are not citizens to do so before they can enter our country. While we're saying that, we, you know, if, if you cross illegally, we really don't care. We're not going to round people up and vaccinate them if they're here illegally. We're going to provide uh, travel. And now, thank you, Katie Hobbs in Arizona. She's going to use the establishment that uh, that Ducey set up, uh, the system that Ducey set up to bust people out. Now they're going to use it to take them where they want to go uh, without being vaccinated, by the way.
0: Yeah, it's so, hard to have a mandate when you have your southern border wide, wide open where you can just come across and come as you please, especially in the Texas, you know, they're just coming in all day long. So to have a, a, a vaccine mandate to people who are coming in here legally and are paying a lot of money to fly into the United States to visit to be right. tourists and, and spending money in our in our states, I think it's a, it's a little bizarre.
1: Yes, it is. It is, and it's not the only bizarre thing that's going on here. Um, just before the State of the Union's uh, address last night, Biden issued a statement opposing, I think it was last night, opposing H.R. 185. Might have been heard this morning. I don't think so. Um, I think it was right before so too. And so, and he said um, his policy to require the vaccinations is built on science um, that we have to stick with science and make sure they're there. Now, apparently, the U.S. has access to science that the rest of the world isn't using, and furthermore, we have to explain why the science is telling Joe Biden that we can end the emergency now, but we have to wait until May 11th to do it. Where's the science there?
0: Well, it's laughable. That would, that would cause mass chaos, right? We we were told that that would cause mass <laughs> chaos and. <laughs> Uh, our ah. southern border is wide open, and that's chaos, but uh, the VAX mandate is you're, you're putting people on the spot to do something that they don't want to do if they want to come into this country, and I think you're losing and you're pushing out a lot of tourists that would come into states like Florida and, and Arizona and California. I mean, Arizona a, has a Super Bowl this year. They have the Phoenix Open going right now, and pretty soon it'll be spring training, so people that come from out of the country that like sports that want to come in and they have to get vaccinated, they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. Uh, we saw professional exactly. athletes turn away from it. So it's a bad policy, and I, they need to pass Massey's bill for sure.
1: The absurdity of the federal government saying that, hey, we know these things, we we, we understand how this all works. Um, number one, it's absurd because they can't make up their own minds. It's political. They're making the decision in a political manner, and they're saying that we can end the state of emergency in the United States on May 11th, does that mean we're going to do away with, would Joe Biden support doing away with the uh, international vaccine mandate then? Are we going to wait till then? And why then and why not now? The whole thing is, we just continue the level of absurdity that began just as soon as the federal government decided, you know what, we need to jump in and tell people what they're going to do and how they're going to stay healthy. Um, now, many of us became aware of these problems in, uh, in about March of 2020, and that's when it really things really ramped up, and over the summer, we started recognizing this is a serious problem, but that is, of course, not when the federal government became a serious problem. Um, Patrick Henry might argue that it became a serious problem in 1787, um, but there the more we allow the federal government to transgress the constitution and to ignore its constitutionally limited function, the more absurd it becomes.
0: Yeah. Policy based on science to a party that literally says a woman is a man. A man is a woman. Uh, those aren't babies in the womb. It's hard to hear him throw out the word science when he doesn't follow science to any other part of his life.
1: That's for sure. The, uh, the, the, Latest iteration of federal overreach really emphasizes the absurdity of all of it. Um, Just a few weeks ago, we had a um, federal commissioner uh, announce that uh, we're going to uh, ban uh, gas stoves. Right, and so everyone is familiar. His his name is Richard Trumpka. He's a commissioner for the Consumer Product Safety Commissioner (CPSC). Um, and the idea that some bureaucrat you've never heard of um, but whose job description includes banning your uh, household appliances um, could actually say something that would get all of our get our attention and make us go now wait a minute you can't do that well the problem is he actually can we've allowed the federal government to to uh, do that kind of thing and so was it actually a serious threat I doubt it they walked it back pretty quickly would they like to be able to do that you bet of course they would. That's exactly where they want to go with this. That yeah, is the who, problem, who that, and aff- that is what really...
0: Who does that affect the most, right? You have to think about it. Who does that affect the most? Does it affect people and their housing? No, I think it affects restaurants. I mean, it, what would a, a restaurant do? Go to electric? You're going to cook meals on electric stoves? <laughs> right. <laughs> Good luck. That's true.
1: I think, I think it also it, it affects a lot of different people. There are, there are many, many... Um, people who are farther down on the income bracket who can't afford to change their appliance and who would be faced with being unable um, to, uh, you know, to to live their daily lives because now all of a sudden the gas stove that is already in their apartment has to be replaced, right? And you would say, okay, well, maybe it's the landlord's job. Yeah, have you ever dealt with a landlord? Have you ever actually worked through that process and tried to it just becomes and then the federal government what's their response oh well we'll make them do it right that's the mm-hmm. way it always works so
0: um,
1: now there, the there is some truth
0: behind this there is some truth behind this i don't know if you've looked into it but gas emissions and what it puts off in a house they mm-hmm. are trying sure. to link it towards baby our kids infant asthma um but as you can also see, we also, when you cook in your house, you have a, a stove hood that has ventilation. Right. So what wouldn't yeah. the easiest choice be? Hey, why don't you guys open a window when you cook or possibly just turn on that vent and we can go ahead and, and keep our gas stoves?
1: <laughs> there are many different ways to deal with it. Uh, that gets down to the base discussion. If you dig down a little bit further, we can ask, What is the proper role of the federal government? That's really what this discussion is about. That's the discussion in in H.R. 185 over whether or not we're going to require non-citizens to be vaccinated before they enter still. um, It's the discussion now. and In this discussion, we talk about uh, whether or not the federal government should be able to regulate your household appliances. Um, That's what the Constitution is for. And once we start saying, and when we started saying that, well, it doesn't really matter, we should do what's right, not what's constitutional. Um, You heard that argument, unfortunately, from Abraham Lincoln. Um, You heard that argument, unfortunately, from Teddy Roosevelt. There are presidents who personally uh, may have been great men, but when they started succumbing to this idea that it really doesn't matter what the Constitution says, we can just ignore it. Interestingly, another great man in American history, his name is George Washington, predicted exactly what would happen if we started ignoring the Constitution for the, for, the, for the greater good. It's okay. We just need to ignore that part because it's better now to do it this way. Um, he predicted exactly what would happen. It's exactly what's happening now. Once, and that was in the farewell address, in Washington's farewell address, once we start saying it doesn't matter anymore, the federal government is going to start doing whatever it wants to do. And if it decides that it's uh, in our best interests to be forced to accept an experimental treatment which has serious side effects, possibly, and has been proven now to have very serious problems for some people. Um, That's not to say that we don't believe in vaccination. If you believe you should be vaccinated, that is the other side of the coin. There have been times when the federal government decided, you can't get this vaccine, you can't have it, you can't go there. Neither is the role of of the federal government. And that really is uh, the important point.
0: Yeah, we have the federal government that we can tells people you have to get vaccinated in, in the military, right? We had the Navy SEALs stand up against it. But we also, in the medical world, you see the government not allowing certain um, medical treatments, right? You're not allowed to do this. So you see many p- cancer patients right. go to Mexico, exactly. go to Europe, go to Germany. Um, they shouldn't be allowed to do that. They shouldn't be allowed to tell you what you can and cannot put into your body that could help save your life.
1: And that kind of comes down to the whole discussion of what is the proper role of government. People are gonna say, well, wait a minute, shouldn't the government be keeping manufacturers from selling dangerous gas stoves? Shouldn't the federal government be able to keep um, the medical industry from peddling a so-called treatment that is dangerous to people? Isn't that what um, the FDA is for? Um, It comes down to a core misunderstanding of, number one, the role of the federal government, number two, the role of government at all. If we say that government is supposed to be telling you you can't, you must, in all of these, in the minutia of life, we have a serious problem. And nobody likes it. The left doesn't like it when when the government says you can't and you must on anything they don't like. They want to use government to tell everyone else, what to do according to their own likes and dislikes. But as soon as some federal bureaucrat decides, uh, or let's say, let's say nine justices who decide that, you know what, the federal government shouldn't be telling the states, you can't outlaw murder if it's before birth, and therefore overturn Roe v. Wade, oh, suddenly we don't like the federal government telling us. We suddenly don't like that at all, if we're the left. And so, it comes down to a discussion of, okay, number one, what is the legitimate role of government? What is a legitimate function? Well, keeping person A from murdering person B, just in the general sense, is a legitimate role of government. Now, we can debate whether or not the federal government should be involved. Should there be a federal murder statute? We can have that debate. But what, what we can say is the federal government shouldn't be telling states, you can't outlaw murder. Um, that's outrageous. And so, you know, we can we can debate that. We can discuss it. But actually, both sides agree that we don't want the federal government dealing in the minutiae of our lives. It's just a question of which minutiae. And so that's where we have to recognize that, okay, what about consumer safety? We're talking about that a lot today. Well, it is a legitimate function of government to prosecute one party or interest which is mis- misrepresenting its products. If you have a large corporation, which is selling gas stoves and telling people it's perfectly safe, and it's not, and it is to the level that it's a serious problem and it uh, is misleading, well, now you have legitimate grounds for government. I would argue probably not the federal government. We can have that discussion, but that's a legitimate g- role of government to, to um, prohibit false and misleading um, advertising or the sale of products under false pretenses. That is fraud. It is theft in some cases, at least in the broadest sense. You are stealing something from someone. So the left often likes to accuse conservatives um, of just wanting to to be a free-for-all. That's laughable. The entire Mm -hmm. idea that we should have an authority which keeps person A from hurting person B is a conservative concept. If you like that idea, you have to look at... To Western jurisprudence and the foundation of Western jurisprudence in order to understand it. So let's not pretend that the left somehow invented this idea. Sorry, you didn't. You came along and hijacked it and turned it into a weapon. You like it weaponized because now you can force everyone to do what you think they should do, but throw a fit if the federal government dares to uh, make a decision that you don't like. That's, that's what it comes down to. There's, not, there's no science to it. There's no consistency This is the nature of federal overreach. Um, Unless we be misquoted or misunderstood, legitimately misunderstood, the right likes to do this too. There are plenty of people on the conservative side who absolutely love the idea of using government to enforce something that is not within the jurisdiction of government. That's absolutely true on both sides, and we shouldn't allow it.
0: Absolutely. I I think that sometimes they just try to get Bills put in and laws made to just grab a little bit more of our freedom, right? If we can, we saw it in COVID in 2020, let's take away some of their freedom. And then now you can't leave your house. Now there's, um, all kinds of different mandates from different governors or mayors of the cities. And it's to take away some of your freedoms, take away some of your power and you just like it and you just deal with it. And, you know, I always go back to one that in Arizona, everyone has a pool. Everyone has a swimming pool. You have to have all kinds of different things put on your house, on your gates. But if you leave your neighborhood and there's a community lake, there's no lake. Oh, yikes. There's no lakes that have fences around them. You can jump in the lake if you want. You can swim in the lake if you want. But at your house that has a gate and all of that, you have to have locks. And if a guy were to jump over your wall, and drown in your pool. And he, after he's trying to rob your house, he can sue you. His family can sue you for negligence. So government rules and laws that are passed aren't always beneficial for the the citizens of this country. And I think we're starting to see that.
1: Well, I think you're right. And I think that the, um, the problem is the removal of any kind of standard. And this is a, this is a classic, um, Marxist tactic. Um, now we can talk about, people like to point out that, wait a minute, cultural Marxism, is, Marxism isn't Marxism because it's not economic in focus. You don't have different perspectives on controlling the means of production, for example, or or who has what, the haves and the have-nots. But that is not the core of Marxism. That The, the economic perspective is something Marx was fascinated with, but there's a whole other element to Marxism. It's how you get done what you want done. And then you have the ends, which is from the original Marxist perspective. Um, but we're not going to sit here and imagine that uh, Mao Zedong, for example, was not a Marxist. He, he, we have a brand or a strain of Marxism called Maoism, right? And so, um, this is um, this is a perspective that um, is it's important to uh, to dig into and to recognize that once. Uh, you start, um, w- well, if you want to do away with a core concept in the society, you want to attack the moorings. You want to do away, you want to undo um, the connection to how do we know things? How do you decide, for example, and this is what we're talking about, how do we decide when a landowner is responsible for someone drowning in his pool? And how do we decide when, I'm sorry, that wasn't the landowner's responsibility? Well, Mm -hmm. interestingly enough, that question has come up before in earth history, um, and it's come up in many different ways. We can talk about it as a pool. You can talk about it on the roof of your house. You can talk about it on whether or not you're going to bury booby traps that might blow up on your own property, right? Um, There is a standard in Western jurisprudence. It's been there for several thousand years. Um, We have long understood how that works. It's not a difficult thing. And interestingly enough, and here's the crux of the matter, in that case, it goes back to the Bible, you mm-hmm. have law going back to long before the time of Christ, recognizing that as a landowner, if you have a house and a rooftop that is flat and it's like a deck, which many were, um, and people are going to go up there, there are stairs up there, and you're going to go up there and, and hang out, and you don't put a railing around your roof. Well, and if somebody falls off, then you may be guilty of, uh, of, of, um, of negligence, and you may be guilty of a negligent death. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the concept that this is where this comes from. And that's why um, tr- in Western jurisprudence, if you have something dangerous and you don't take care of it in a reasonable fashion, then you you are responsible. Now, interestingly enough, also in Western jurisprudence, because it goes back to this example, this case law in the Bible, um, if you fail to put a roof around your house, there's no bureaucrat that comes around and says, we're going to find you now. There's no bureaucrat that says you're breaking the law because you're not you break the law once the person falls off. Mm -hmm. And so if nobody falls off your roof... Now, why is that? Is that negligent? Is that a problem? Should we be more interested in prevention? Well, interestingly enough, um, you can look at it and you can see, well, there certainly have been cultural attitudes that said, well, if somebody gets hurt, they get hurt. And that's just the way it is. Okay, that's a bad attitude. That's an attitude that we would prefer not to pursue today. We would prefer more prevention. But you know what? That's where... And this is an area where I actually agree with Teddy Roosevelt. We would mentioned him earlier. I disagree with many of his policies, his attitude that there's the Constitution and there's what's right, and I'm going to do whatever I want, whatever I think is right, regardless of what the Constitution says. Roosevelt was wrong. And I think that if Teddy could see where it went, he'd be horrified. And he might even recognize his contribution to it because he was an interesting dude that way. But something that I agree with Teddy on was his use of what he, he coined the term the bully pulpit, using his position as, as someone people listen to to uh, put forward ideas. Now, do I think that's a problem? No, actually, I think that's something that uh, if you have the microphone and you want to, uh, want to espouse an idea and hope to influence others to take up that idea, that's great. Very different from deciding I'm going to establish a federal bureaucracy, which comes in and says, you couldn't possibly plant a garden over that large mud puddle you have because that is a wetland and it's necessary and blah, blah, blah. It's outrageous. It's ridiculous. And this is it comes down to ultimately when we talk about vaccines and we talk about, um, you know, H.R. 185 and the federal overreach. It's in the context in the last two years of the um, of the CDC. Right. Um, How many of us really thought very much about the CDC until summer of 2022, 2020, right? It's not something we uh, thought a lot about. The CDC has a very interesting history and some of it has come out and there are certainly some, um, some interesting um, things that have been published. Some people are probably already aware of uh, the CDC's origin. It was originally the malaria control in war areas agency. Um, and in fact, the CDC still lists the first two guys who were in charge of the MCWA as their first two directors. Um, it was spun into the CDC after World War II. The MCWA Malaria Control in War Areas was established in 1943, and it had a legitimate end there in war areas. This is wartime. We have troops who are stationed in different places, and they are getting malaria in the United States. So, in order to fight the war, we need to go- we need to govern. What happens in these areas where our troops are posted? Okay, perfectly constitutional. No problem. What happens? Well, the end of the war, the, the, somebody says, and it may well have been um, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt. I haven't looked into that, but this is exactly the type of thing that she pursued. So I'm not accusing her of being part of this, but her perspective certainly was. that Well, there's malaria in other parts of the U.S., so now we need to spin this into a larger Um, governing body. And so eventually, it was a couple of iterations later, it became known as the Center for Disease Control, giving it very broad latitude. But you know what the CDC did for most of its, you're talking 30 to 50 years, no, I'm sorry, 30 years um, of spreading DDT. That was what they did they went around and they sprayed the poison DDT, which is a uh, mosquito killer, everywhere. Now, in 1943, you could argue that we really didn't know how bad DDT was. It killed mosquitoes, and when you kill the mosquitoes, the malaria went away. Great. Perfect solution. Okay, so they went around and sprayed it. But between 1943 and 1972, when we stopped using DDT because another federal agency had to be spun up in order to make uh, the other federal agency stop using it, that was the EPA. But in 1972, DDT was banned in the U.S. Now, that probably was a good thing. By that time, it had uh, seven and a half pounds per living human in the U.S. had been spread in the United States. Seven and a half pounds of DDT per person alive. Um, you only need a few ounces for it to be deadly to a person. So it, we are literally swimming in it. Um, and now we have multigenerational studies um, that have been finalized and that are no one debates, no one, no one argues with, everyone agrees, that um, small amounts of DDT become metabolized as DDE, and that is one of the most serious carcinogens uh, in, available to humans, um, largely because it is so available. So much of it was spread around. The federal government was going around and coating the insides of private citizens' homes and telling them DDT is good for you. They teamed up with with big um, chemical, and through the fifties and sixties, were spraying it everywhere. They were coating your furniture, they were coating your kitchen in DDT because where they did that, ninety percent uh, malaria went down by ninety percent. Great, no problem. So isn't that lovely? Isn't that wonderful? We're we're so, we're so fixing the world. We're solving the problem without regard for the outcome, without regard for the fact that there are now granddaughters and grandsons of women who were coded in that much DDT who have cancer because of the DDT that their grandmothers were were um, exposed to. It is passed on through, for, because it, it, it hides in tissue and fat. And so it, once it gets into your body, especially for mothers, that is passed on to their children. That is the, how horrible DDT is. And the federal government was spraying everyone in it. Doesn't that kind of sound like a federal government that says, we don't care, it doesn't even matter, we're not even going to talk about it. In fact, we're going to actively suppress whether or not you get to talk about the potential downside of a COVID vaccine. Now, again, we're not saying don't get vaccinated. If you want to get vaccinated, then you should be free to do so. But for the federal government to come and say that you have to do this, yeah, there are problems, and it's specifically associated with the CDC. We haven't even talked about the Tuskegee syphilis study but I don't want to dominate it. <laughs> Dennis, I'm sure you have some things to say.
0: No, the, the government is also, this re, This regime is also going after another set of people these days, and they're going to crack down on waiter's tips. What do you think about that? Cracking down on waiter's tips. You know, most people... Oh, yeah. Right? Most people put right? cash, and they give you <laughs> cash. They don't want to put in your credit card because they know you're getting crushed in right. taxes. Um, and here's just another way where... I thought this regime was supposed to be helping the middle class, which most majority of those jobs are middle class, lower class, um, uh, entryways, high school students, college kids paying their way through college. And here we are, we're going to tax them even more on their tips.
1: It's outrageous. And it's, you know, once it is the problem, you build a federal bureaucracy that is as powerful and scary as our federal government could be. And then you, you let different people drive, right? Every four years, you get a shot at somebody else uh, driving the bureaucrat, bureaucratic or um, uh, executive part of the federal government. Um, that is scary. Now you have the sure you have the deep state. You've got ingrained bureaucrats who want to do things that they want to continue. Um, achieving the goal that they are set. And I'm not even saying it's all nefarious, certainly. There are people who are nefarious who get into government positions and are trying to do bad things. But there are a lot of people who are just trying to do good things, and they but they only have one good idea. They want to, um, for example, we need to fund all these federal programs. How are we going to do it? Well, you know what? We need to start taxing tips. Yeah, there you go. There you go. What, um, <laughs> what, 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 um, uh, C.S. Lewis said about a well-meaning bureaucrat being the absolute worst, uh, the better they are at their jobs and the more conscientious they are, the worse it is for everyone else. And that is because we allow the job descriptions to be written to be so in- intensely absurd. There, it's only one idea. And this is the concept of central, central government. It's the same concept of centralizing the monetary supply or centralizing the means of production. Once you centralize all of it, somebody has to make all of these decisions, and they can't. No human, no group of humans can possibly deal with the complexities of, pick one, an economy, your health, your ability to defend yourself, uh, your your job, your ability to uh, provide for yourself. No group of humans can rule that completely. That's the concept of a free market. That's why the free market is such a blessing to human beings. So I couldn't agree more, could not agree more.
0: You know, we had a, we had a victory this past week. As when I say we, I mean, Christians in general, uh, since 2020, we've been getting the brunt end of a lot of sticks, uh, blaming us for all kinds of things. But there is a church in Moscow, Idaho, who had a little Psalm sing. And I think we all recall this. It was shown on Fox news and, um, they were out, at the Capitol, I believe, and they were psalm singing and, and fellowshipping with each other and were arrested. And why were they arrested outside Zach?
1: Yeah. So it was at the city hall. Um, and this is in, um, interestingly enough, a little town named Moscow, uh, Moscow, Idaho. Um, most of you have probably never been there, but some of you may not have heard of it. It's in Lataw County. It is one of the major school towns in the state of Idaho. It's actually one of the left-leaning counties in Idaho because of the college that's there. Most people think about Idaho as being very hard right, and there are are a lot of very conservative communities in, in, in Idaho. Moscow is not one of them, and I'm not sure who decided to call it that. I'm pretty sure it was named long before the Bolshevik Revolution. Um, but somehow there's a little bit of poetic justice in the, uh, pers- because the perspective of the city government in Moscow is a little bit left-leaning. Um, and so during, as the, as the uh, COVID uh, problem was ramping up at the beginning of 2020, um, the Moscow City Council passed an ordinance saying that um, they were going to require some masking and there was going to be some social distancing. But then they specifically, because eh, it's probably still Idaho, um, they specifically said that no one's constitutional rights could be violated. This cannot be applied in a way that is oppressive. Um, and they, they nailed it down so that in order to pass it, everyone could look at it. Okay, well, it's not too bad, right? well, now, uh, the city government begins enforcing it, and the enforcement is pretty draconian. They've got people telling people, you've got to put on your mask, and they have people running around town, and there are some videos out there. You can watch them of people, government officials, walking up to people and saying, you don't have your mask on, put your mask on. They're outside, walking down a public street, and a government, city-level bureaucrat walks up and says, you have to put on your mask. Okay, so this is, this is is this is the context. Well, A church in that town decided that we need to protest this. Now, this church regularly holds hymn sings outside. They gather outside in public spaces, and they sing. Um, Pretty dangerous level stuff. They decided they were going to do that in order to... They're going to continue doing what they always did, and they're going to uh, host a hymn sing outside City Hall. And so they did. Um, They um, got... Uh, told everybody turn up and several hundred people arrived from church and they started singing. And, uh, they decided, you know, we're not going to wear masks when we're singing. That's silly. Uh, the city ordinance already says that it's not going to violate a constitutional right. Uh, we have, uh, one of the most widely recognized constitutional rights, which is the right to assemble and peaceably, um, protest or, or, uh, um, demonstrate, um, in order to redress grievances. Well, their grievances were, you guys are repressing our ability to um, walk down the street without wearing a mask, so we're gonna protest, and so they did. Um, So it turned out to be a very interesting day. Um, I think our uh, guest is uh, in the waiting room, and so we're gonna talk with uh, Christchurch deacon, Gabe Wrench, uh, who was arrested that day. And it's something that hit national news, you may remember it, to give us an update on uh, on how that turned out and what happened. Um, it's such a fun example because um, not only do you have um, an, a church standing up and saying, okay, we are going to assemble peaceably and we are going to ask for redress of grievances. You have a city government in Moscow, uh, Idaho, that decides, yeah, we're going to arrest these people. So Gabe Rynch, how are you doing? I'm doing
2: well. Thank you for having me. Zach and Dennis. Thanks, What's for up, jumping Gabe. How are you on. doing, we brother? Appreciate it. Good, man.
1: So, uh, Gabe, uh, I still enjoy uh, the footage of you being arrested, partially because I enjoy watching you get arrested, but also because <laughs> of the smirk on your face and the smile that we are getting arrested for not wearing masks. And we stood too close together and we didn't wear masks and we dared to sing in protest of the mask ordinance. What was that day like?
2: Yeah, that was uh, September 23rd, 2020. And I don't, I don't mind the simplification of saying we were getting arrested for not wearing a mask. But the, the bigger thing for us was we wanted to worship God without the government telling us how to worship, how far apart to stand, what to wear. Um, that was the bigger issue was that worship is um, that the government can't intrude into worship and tell you how to worship. And, I, I mean, that day is still very eerie and weird. You know, our, I've been fighting my community, my church. I had been fighting our city council and our mayor for about four or five months at that point with emails, um, text messages, meetings. I'd met with our sheriff. I'd met with our chief of police before that day. And so it had been a long battle during the during the, during the, pan, or the so-called pandemic. And when, and they never cited or arrested anybody for breaking that ordinance. Now, to go back just a little bit to March, 2020, I had uh, signed up to run for county commissioner in March, 2020. It was actually March 11th, 2020, Uh, nine days or 10 days. I forget the exact date. It was either March 20th or 25th. I can't remember. Uh, Our mayor shut down downtown. So I signed up to run for county commissioner because our county commissioners had raised taxes four years in a row, and um, I couldn't find anybody else to run for county commissioner. So I, I I knew I had about two years where I could run and and do it well, and so I signed up to kind of fight the high taxes. Our our county is the second highest tax uh, per house uh, county in Idaho, and wow. so that was my big issue. And then the then the mayor shut down uh, the town oh, ten days later after I signed up to run for county commissioner, and all of a sudden my My political, you know, uh, uh, motivations just grew. I was like, okay, now I'm fighting my city council mayor for our constitutional rights. That's where it became. And I let it open up business rally. Um, And so I was a political opponent to them. They didn't like me. None of them voted for me. Uh, I was uh, leading business rallies against them. Uh, representing a voice to the to them that the uh, for the for the business and constitutional communities here in Lake County, and and so and then over the summer when they start they enacted the Moscow the masking ordinance July second. So there's no masking ordinance. Um, that, I mean there was, but not really, not as strong like this one was. And on July second they enacted the masking ordinance and it said y- y- outside. You had to either stand six feet apart or wear a mask. That was the ordinance. Very simple. And so outside, parks, it don't matter. You either had to be wearing a mask or stand six feet apart from from people. And so that very much became a religious uh, thing for us. You can't tell us where to stand, where to worship. And so we started protesting. Black Lives Matter rally came in July, protesting in downtown, the whole Black Lives Matter movement in 2020. Uh, And, of course, no arrests there, no citations there. And, and, and then we'd go sing Psalms for 20 minutes and leave. And then in August, I think we did it in July. I think we did it in August. And then, and every month they would read their ordinance and then they would extend it at the end of the month for another 30 days. And then they meet again, they'd read the ordinance and then they extend it for another 30 days. They did that for July, August, and then September, September 21st, they met to extend the ordinance through January this time. So that was September 21st, their meeting. And of course, Hundreds of emails came to them. They didn't listen to anybody in our, in our city, and they extended the ordinance through January. And so my, my church leaders on, January, on September 23rd said, well, let's go sing psalms at, in the city hall parking lot. And when we got to the city hall parking lot, they had spray-painted circles on the concrete six feet apart so oh. the cops could objectively see that we were standing six feet apart. This is insane, isn't it? Like, this is insanity. Mm-hmm. And, well, and I got yeah. there, and, and, and I looked at the parking lot. All these polka dots were on the parking lot. I was like, what game? Are, did someone play a game? I, I couldn't figure it out, and I saw the cops standing against the wall. That was new. So all of a sudden, they had set up our protest, our religious free speech protest, and they placed cops there because they were going to enforce it right there. And yep, yep. then we started singing my uh, – as soon as we started singing, my arresting officer, Officer Will Cressalt, came up to my mom. That was the first person. He came, like a coward. He came up to my mom and asked her, "Are you with this standing? Are you with this man?" And uh, and my mom said, "Yeah, this is my son." And and you guys know how the COVID logic works. If you're family, you don't need to stand six feet apart. If you're not family, <laughs> it's dangerous. It's very dangerous. <laughs> right. And and then and they. They, uh, the the next officer comes to me then after my mom comes to me and I put my arm around my buddy, Tyler, and I said, this is my friend, Tyler, obviously indicating I'm not standing six feet apart and I'm not wearing a mask. And the officer said, give me your driver's license. I said, um, uh, no officer, I'm exercising my first amendment rights and you swore an oath to defend my first amendment rights. You swore an oath to defend my first amendment rights against domestic enemies like our mayor and city council are acting right now. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we kind of went back and forth about four times around that topic, and he said, I'm asking you one more time, give me your license. Obviously, he didn't care about the Constitution. He didn't care about his oath. He didn't care. Um, he wasn't a thinking officer. <laughs> and, and, so, and and here's the, the, the craziest part. If you guys, you know, if your listeners watch the video, you can Google Gabe Brinch arrested in Moscow or whatever, and the video pops up, and you'll see the officers, they, they had to take my hymn book out of my hands to handcuff me. It was, it was the eeriest, craziest thing. Um, I'll never get used to to that moment. They took my handbook out of my hands to handcuff me, and then they handcuffed me and, and walked me away. But just, I, I do not, my chief of police is standing right behind Officer Will. I, like, I do not know. How do you, as an officer, get in that position where you're willing to, Um, you know, uh, live out the petty tyranny that the mayor and the city council were trying to enact in our town during the pandemic and arrest someone for holding a hymn book.
1: It's so tough for people because most of them up to this point had never seen it before. They'd never really been in a situation where you might have to enforce something that's wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, Now it has happened in American history, obviously. And one of the most Public examples was the um, National Guardsmen and sheriff's deputies who were ordered to walk around New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina and confiscate privately held firearms, go into houses and take people's guns. And this is something that um, you know, of course, American gun owners had always said, "You know what? The police will never do that. They're just going to disobey, and if they come into my house, I'm just going to shoot them." Right? Without thinking through the fact that, yeah, you're talking about shooting your neighbor who. Works you know, who's a national guardsman talking yeah. about shooting the guy you go to church with who is a sheriff's deputy. But the other side of the coin is, you know, the the fascinating thing. These there is there you can still Google it. There is video of national guardsmen walking down with cameras in their face, going, "I cannot believe I am doing this on American soil," and yeah. they're just they're in shock. They're like they're they're pale. It's like physical shock is actually yeah. setting in. And so it's not in defense, we we're responsible for our actions. And um, the courts have, have ruled that the officials in Moscow were responsible for their actions. Tell us about that victory.
2: That's right. So I won my criminal case in January, 2021. And uh, actually after I won our criminal, my criminal complaint against me, I had a misdemeanor for violating their, their unconstitutional emergency order. I won that. I went and met with my arresting officer and my chief of police that that week or two weeks after I won my criminal complaint. I did that because I didn't want to sue my cops. I was planning on suing the city for violating my first and fourth amendment rights. But I was like, maybe there's a good explanation from the cops. And so I met with my chief of police and, and the two things that stuck out to me in that meeting was, he said, I, I never took a good civics class um, in high school or college. And I, I, I just don't know mm. the constitution very well. And I was like, dude, you're the one with the badge and a gun. Wow. What do you mean? You don't, it, yeah. it's kind of well, kind of
1: it's actually shocking true. yeah thank and, you government education we were just talking about uh, the failure of federal government and bureaucracies there's another one
2: yeah and then the other thing he said was uh someday i'll tell you what i think about your constitutional first amendment rights that's <laughs> so i left that meeting being like <laughs> oh my goodness and then i met uh, i think the next week with mm. my arresting officer and he said in the meeting i would do it all over again
0: wow ouch and I yeah. remember
2: walking out of that meeting, um, no, Tyson Barrett was there, another officer. Um, I remember walking out of that meeting, calling my wife and saying, babe, I met with them. I did my due diligence. I think I need to include them in the lawsuit. And so Thomas Moore Society backed me in all this. They were fantastic. Uh, the president uh, was just such an encouragement and a fighter. I really appreciate Thomas Moore Society for backing me. And so we went into a three-year lawsuit. It took three years to defend my constitutional rights in the city, knowing the whole time that they were wrong. They lost the civil case, uh, the criminal case. And then we go into the civil courts and it, and, and three years they wouldn't admit anything. They wouldn't talk to me. I, I reached out to try to meet with the mayor. I reached out to try to meet with our new mayor I reached out to try to meet with, I had a meeting scheduled with one of the city council candidates and she canceled it on me. And for three years yeah. I, I was fighting with this in the courts in the mm. federal courts uh, my lawyers, depositions, you know, all this for three years. And finally, the federal judge uh, last week um, awarded us basically a victory dismissing their um, uh, summary judgment case so we can go into a lawsuit, into a settlement. And so it's a fantastic victory because it means two things. It, it reminds um, the United States, all the small tyrants that are out there as mayors and city councilors, that they can't suspend our constitutional rights during a pandemic, mm-hmm. and then and then secondly, that if you do, you're going to lose. And so it's a it's a it's a it's a teaching through discipline uh, uh, scenario. And the judge the, the judge's order was hilarious. He he said like you know this should never end up in the courts. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know they full well knew what their order said, even in their they emergency to order. Their own order, yep. Even in their emergency order, it said my First Amendment rights were protected. They wrote right. that
1: in there, right? And the judge specifically pointed that out. I get. I got a big kick out of That's his right. ruling. Um, he also said plaintiffs were wrongly arrested. The city indisputably erred in interpreting its own code. The city consequently misadvises officers as to the code's application. The plaintiffs are so far reasonable in their damage request. This case should not need to see the inside of a courtroom. <laughs> it's I, awesome. I, I, so, I congrats I love the fact to you I lo- and I love to the fact, Bonnays. Yeah.
0: I love the fact that he said, I want to reside on that court case when it goes for restitution. He's like, I'm going to be in on that one, too.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'll offer.
0: (laughs) Right. So, well,
1: Gabe, thank you for fighting that through. Um, Congratulations on a victory in uh, perhaps a, you know, a little bit more of a leftist bastion in the middle of a solid red state. So uh, we appreciate your time and appreciate you uh, laying that out.
0: Thank you for having me on. Thanks, Gabe. Appreciate
1: it. So the reality here ultimately comes down to recognizing uh, that um, the uh, um, overreach of government at any level is deeply problematic. Um, There is no way around it. Um, We can talk about whether or not it should happen at the federal level. We can go down to your local small town, which is what Moscow, Idaho is. And once we screw up uh, what we believe government should be doing it puts everyone in a bad position. Some people, unfortunately, break towards tyranny, which, um, according to Gabe, the words out of the mouths of uh, the police in Moscow are not good. We do it all again. We're proud of it. We're glad we did that. Um, yeah, that's that's wrong. Uh, that's immoral. Um, and it's evil. And that's the attitude that leads to five cops beating a guy to death on the street over a, a questionable traffic stop. So does America have a, have a, have a racial problem? Is there racism in America? Sure. We can get into that later. But the point now, America has a tyranny problem. Mm-hmm. America has a we-don't-know-what-the-constitution-says problem. Now, as a common ordinary citizen, you do not take an oath to uphold the Constitution. Um, it is to your advantage to do so because that's what the Constitution is for. Uh, and so do you have a responsibility? Well, in in one sense, before God, Yes. Um, but there's a whole other level, a whole other layer. When you are a uh, lower magistrate or a magistrate of any kind, when you are a public official, you take an oath. You have responsibility to know. And unfortunately, it's there's a culture that says it's okay. It's okay to not know. We don't care. We don't love, care at all.
0: I love Gabe's Christian response of going to those, uh, going to the police chief, going yes. to the, the arresting officer, trying to set up meetings with the mayor to say, "Hey, listen." I guarantee you if they would have just apologized and said we were wrong and admitted it, this would have been done, put away and forgotten clean, you know, clean his whole rap sheet, throw it out and let's, let's start new. But they dug their heels in and, and the Christians got a victory and, uh, praise God for justice England and his, his ruling. And hopefully they are made whole in the, uh, the next part of this, uh, ongoing saga.
1: That's right. We didn't mention the judge's name. His last name is England, just to yeah. make things a little bit more confusing. But that's what we're talking about. Judge England ruled on that case. Well, in uh, other areas of uh, since this, this the theme of this week seems to be government overreach. Uh, interestingly, the president of the United States ended up giving his uh, once a year speech on government overreach. Um, now, you know, you can pick on on uh, the presidents of both parties uh, for overreach. Um, unfortunately, it's something that in some, in many cases, Republican presidents are equally bad at. I we could spend days and days talking about um, the evil uh, doings of both Bushes, for example, Bush one and two. Um, but last uh, this week, uh, the uh, President Joe Biden um, gave his State of the Union address. It's very similar. Those are kind of grouped together with the first hundred days address. Most presidents give those as well. Uh, my perspective uh, this week, it was a real snooze fest. It was, it was boring. The most exciting thing was when um, Biden tried to claim that Republicans want to just cut Medicaid off and, and watch old people starve, basically. And the Republicans got up out of their seats to, to, uh, to protest. Apparently, it's reported that when Biden got back to the White House, his chief of staff was ecstatic that they got a rise out of the Republicans. And it wasn't a total loss. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, Marjorie Taylor Green. Okay, stood up that's and the high. She called, out, she called him a liar. She said, "You liar, <laughs> right? Yep, yep." Well, some of it was a little hard to sit through. I get
1: that. There were some fireworks in that case. And look, as a 25 year political operative, yes, the the contention, the debate, that's what people look at. And so, for a president who had 26 million people watch his first hundred days. Which is incredibly low. That is half of what presidents often get. Um, yes, the Biden staff was going to be excited about some some fireworks. Um, unfortunately, we can't see the ratings yet. Interestingly, you can see the ratings from the Grammys, but you can't see the ratings from, from uh, the State of the Union yet. Um, but traditionally, Biden has underperformed, and people don't really want to watch. Part of that is because of the laughable gaffes that come up, right? Um, you saw, Dennis, the... Stood up and multiple times referred to Senator Chuck Schumer as the minority leader. Uh, he yeah. is the majority leader now. Interesting. What makes it funny is it's by one vote. Has been for a long time. They've got a slightly stronger lead now. And Biden actually tried to save himself by saying, "Well, you're kind of the majority leader now because you have a couple extra votes."
0: <laughs> he said <laughs> a few a things that slip. he said a few things that people are still scratching their head about. Um, yeah, it was underwhelming it was, is a man who has done nothing. He blames the Republicans. He sowed more discord between the two parties than past presidents, maybe as far as back as Obama, um, with the race baiting. But, um, it was really hard to watch. It was, it was one of those things that you just, you kind of grimace when he was blaming the Republicans for wanting to cut, uh, Medicare and, uh, and social security and, and they were just hooting and hollering. It was actually like a, a bar scene where you just had people going back and forth yelling. It definitely <laughs> didn't look like a presidential speech of any sort. Um, and I think yeah. that's kind of sums up where we are as a country. It's kind of a, uh, a unique, weird, eerie kind of feeling in this country right now where our government is looking more like a circus than it is actually an, an established well-run machine.
1: Well, when we don't care about telling the truth, I mean, we can talk about gaffes. You can talk about, you know, uh, President Biden claiming that the U.S. could uh, legitimately and practically stop using petroleum altogether within 10 years. Yeah. In 10 years, we could have no petroleum. That was laughable. Even the Democrats kind of, yeah. But, okay, so that's crazy Uncle Joe, right? Calling Schumer, minority leader, doing things like that. The problem is that this morning you get up and you have the typical left leftist media fawning over all the wonderful things. Um, but you can go to the Hill, uh, which is not a conservative outlet. They cover everything Washington, D.C., everything of the federal government. And they're pointing out the things, the embarrassing things that Biden didn't talk about. He didn't talk about Afghanistan. He didn't talk mm-hmm. about the spy balloon. He didn't talk about multiple other things that... Well, okay, is he going to bring up some of his weaknesses? No, but are these are, these are major weaknesses and by not mentioning them, you're highlighting them. I think the biggest My thing favorite, what, however, what, was the what Washington about loan Post. forgiveness? Mm, go ahead. What
0: about loan forgiveness? Right? He <laughs> right, didn't mention he didn't that. Mention that's it. what got him I think that's what got yep. him elected by most people in college these days and he didn't even once mention right.
1: it. Well, and you can't get it passed through Congress because it is laughable. It's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, now look, Are are colleges overcharging for what you get? You bet. Oh, Absolutely. There's no question. Are we going to fix that by going and printing more money and stealing it? Not from the people who are alive. We've already stolen everything you can from the people who are alive. The federal government has. Now we're going to steal it from children and grandchildren, some of whom aren't born yet. And we're going to use that um, to, and it's not going to go to the students. We're going to route it right back to the colleges, right, to pay for it. What are the colleges Mm going to do? What are the big universities going to do? Raise the prices yep that's exactly what they're going to do, and so the whole thing fell apart, and it's laugh it's, it is so laughably unconstitutional that that even more left leaning jurists had to say, Yeah, we can't go with that we're going to have to we're going to have to hit the pause button there, boys, and that's what happened, right? The hilarious thing about the or, or the, I mean maybe hilarious isn't overly strong, maybe it's sad, um, but if you't you know if you don't laugh, you're going to cry. The inaccuracies <laughs> and downright fabrications that were put forward as fact with a straight face and that the uh, Democrat cadre in Congress isn't questioning. The idea that uh, Biden has has started 12 million new jobs or provided 12 million new jobs. Okay, first of all, the president doesn't do a blessed thing. He's not actually starting those jobs. He's not creating them. The best thing that you can do is cut the red tape so that businesses can create jobs. And this has been proven. You can prove it. Um, but the reality is there haven't even been 12 million new jobs um, comparatively. He's claiming that and saying that um, this is better than any president in recent history. Um, but you can go back and look at multiple presidents in recent history from Reagan on and look at the two-year mark and see a comparable job leap or growth. The problem is Biden is trying to claim that his two years is comparable to everyone else's four and that the losses that almost certainly will come um, don't count. So that's just for starters. Mm -hmm. He also claimed he's bringing manufacturing jobs back to the U.S. He's using cooked numbers. The truth is more jobs have left then have come back. They're using another indicator to say, well, you have goods that are coming from overseas that are coming here and then are being um, somehow modified and then sold. The problem is they're being shipped back out. So you don't actually have an increase in in overseas jobs being, or manufacturing jobs being brought back. It's outrageous. You also have claims, the infrastructure claims. Did you see those, Dennis?
0: I did see those. Did you catch that? It was... uh... (laughs) It's 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 laughable to think that we're he said we were leading leading the country in in this or you know, leading the world in this claims that the U S is 13th in the world while comparing us to about ten tiny port nations like Singapore Hong Kong and United Arab Emirates right. like come on right come and he's on, saying Joe. we are
1: yeah yeah right the Emirates he's he's saying we're we're way behind we're behind all these other countries he's saying that we are a 13th in the world behind places like Singapore, Hong Kong, United Emirates, uh, multiple European countries, and that we need to catch up. We need to spend more money. We need to uh, have bigger deficits in order to catch up. The problem is that Singapore, Hong Kong, United Emirates, places like that, they are tiny seaport nations. Infrastructure works very differently there. Now, we're not discounting it, but we're saying that you can't. That's like saying somehow that... Um, You know, you can take a tiny little Midwestern town where there is no congestion and say that, look how well they handle their traffic compared to Dallas. Look how much better it is than Atlanta. That's the comparison that he's making. Or in Europe, where you have infrastructure that is hardwired in a very different way between these countries where um, the flow of goods between countries is in those states due to special agreements and areas that are set up is more in those nations is more like states in the US and so to compare that to say our ability to to, to trade with Canada or trade with Mexico for example or go beyond um, those trade agreements to other nations is somehow that's an infrastructure question and that's somehow worse than what we see in Europe That's Again, let's compare the states within the United States and how goods move, and then we can compare that to those nations in Europe. If you take our infrastructure and compare it to the other 10 largest geographical nations like Canada, Australia, China, Russia, these are all uh, nations which are largely the size of a continent, Mm -hmm. we are number one. Yep. Everyone agrees. Now, is that, you know, we can debate, is that a good thing, is that a bad thing? Look, infrastructure is a good thing. Um, how we pay for it, that needs to be discussed. But for a sitting president to claim that we're going to make a comparison, we're going to stand up with a straight face and make a comparison and place and claim, make the argument that we need to spend more, de- we need to expand more deficit, deficit spending um, because we're 13th, is, that's reprehensible. <laughs> that's outrageous. Yeah.
0: He also said we are 1.7 trillion million less uh, trillion less yep, in 1. the 7 deficit. 1.7 trillion less. <laughs> but we're actually 850 billion more, right? Yes. Yeah.
1: Correct. That's exactly it. He claimed that, he made this claim that says we. he has reduced the deficit. He said, I've reduced the de- deficit by 1.7 trillion. That's laughable when mm-hmm. you look at the spending that's happened and everybody looked, looked at, wait a minute, how did that happen? How did we possibly do that? That is the magic of, <laughs> of the Uh, federal government accounting. We wonder how we could be trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. Yeah, it's because we have some very creative accounting going on on the federal side. And everyone, this is from the Washington Post, the Washington Post has to correct Biden this morning and say, yeah, no, it's actually the other way by nearly $1 trillion.
0: Yeah, he also said the oil oil companies, right? They're taking their profits and they're putting it, buying their stocks back, And they're paying their CEOs all this extravagant money. And then he said, well, you guys need to invest back into the infrastructure of oil. We're going to need you for another 10 years. So (laughs) that was laughable. I think both (laughs) sides looked at, yeah, they're going to, they're going to (laughs) literally dump billions and billions and trillions of dollars into an infrastructure that in 10 years will be gone. (laughs) Who, what smart businessman (laughs) is going to do that? Not, not one that I know. My favorite was the claim that mass shootings went
1: down from 1994 to 2004 when the assault weapons ban was in effect. Now we have to understand the assault weapons ban was passed um, by uh, the Democrat Congress under Bill Clinton with all kinds of wonderful promises about how it would work. But the only way that ultimately the deal came down, they could pass it if they set a sunset clause, which means it ends in 10 years automatically unless it's renewed. Mm -hmm. Now we have to remember, this. here's an example, George Bush tried to help to re-up it. In 2004, he was president and he came out and supported it. Okay. So a little interesting tidbit, but for Joe Biden now to claim that the assault weapons ban reduced shootings, it's laughable. Mass Mm -hmm. shootings went up, not down from 94 to 2004. Everyone agrees. It's an established fact. The only way you claim that is either by being crazy or hope no one will check you. Now, do you you think they went up? Washington Post that pointed that out.
0: Yeah. Do you think that they went up maybe, Zach, because criminals don't care about laws and different assault weapon bans that they are still going to do <laughs> yes. bad things? I mean, you're, you're trying to put these well, assault weapon bans to the to the American citizens who follow the law. I'm a gun owner. There's some right behind me. Um, I actually had to get a tax stamp for one of those. But you can't take away the rights right. of of American citizens who own guns lawfully and execute the things that they have to do in order to purchase those guns, because they're the ones following the rules. The ones that are not following the rules are the, are the bad guys, are the criminals that are shooting up Chicago every weekend when you have 50, 60 uh, murders every weekend in the same city. And it is a high, well, how many, how many gun laws do you think the, the state of Illinois has? One of the strictest? You know, I can't
1: comment off the top of my head how many laws, but they are without a question one of the most strict. You still have to have at a card, an identification card, a permit just to own a firearm. It's called the FOID card. Firearms owner identification. You have to have it. And if you possess a firearm without the FOID card, you go to jail. It's the only place in America where you have to have a permit to have a gun, period. Period. And so, and then Chicago's laws are much more strict on top of that. And yes, their gun crime is always, always at the top, top couple, and repeatedly, the Chicago mayor, who is also historically the head of the mob, and everybody knows it, or is the slave of the mob, depending on who it is, um, they repeatedly claim that, oh well, we have such high gun crime because the guns are flowing in from Indiana and Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. and I don't know Canada, Uh, where else. Give me a break. Yeah. So if, if more guns is the problem, then why don't Wisconsin and Indiana have gun crime that even compares? I mean, you, it, it's, it's laughable. Both Wisconsin and especially Indiana's gun laws are 180 degrees. Now, there are still some problems. Um, but gun crime does not go up when guns become available. And this idea, this claim that, well, they're bringing them in from places where it's legal, well, then why isn't the crime high there?
0: Oh, yeah, it's look at because it. what, of other yeah. factors. Sure. Look at Arizona. What's it's other the factors. Mean? And
1: so, right, exactly. Yep. Yep, exactly. So uh, that's always a fun debate. It's always interesting when the politicians want to start making arguments uh, for gun laws because it falls apart so very rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, something else to keep in mind, you asked why did gun crime, especially mass shootings, specifically mass shootings increased by more than double between 1994 and 2004. Part of that problem is cultural, and this is a mm-hmm. sad reality that that we have a multifaceted problem um, that encourages people who are unstable in one part of their thinking um, to respond by doing that, to respond by shooting people. It gets attention. Um, they may or may not be wishing suicide. Um, so there are multiple factors there, but the availability of a firearm clearly has very little to do with whether or not that's going to work. And this is one of the major arguments. Well, if guns weren't available, people wouldn't be able to use them. That's not actually true, number one. Mm-hmm. Someone who is creative, and you have to recognize that people who commit mass shootings are very creative and are very capable of doing things. And so they're not just some crazy person in the corner who, who, who's twitching out, tweaking out. Um, they, the part of them is not working, but the rest is working just fine. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you can go to nations where guns are legitimately less available. And guess what? (laughs) There are mass stabbings. You can drive a truck through a crowd. Mm -hmm. There are multiple different ways, all of which have been tried, all of which have been done successfully. You can look them up as to how um, someone who wants to commit mass murder does so if guns are somehow made less available. Here's what happens when you make guns less available. Those who would respond and stop the mass shooting are unable to do so, and that's the other side Mm -hmm. of the coin. 94 to 2004, I bought my first uh, assault weapon during that time. In fact, one was uh, I was in high school, I graduated in 98. Before I was out of high school, I owned uh, a rifle that was classed as an assault weapon. And um, it was very difficult to get, it was much harder to get them because they were working on cosmetics. And so all of a sudden, everything that existed had to be redone. Now, here's the other reality. In some ways, some assault what well, they class as an assault weapon was just simply a magazine fed semi-automatic weapon that had certain cosmetic features like a bayonet lug. When's the last mm-hmm. time you saw somebody commit a mass shooting with a with bayonets affixed? It's really inconvenient. doesn't work yeah. very well. You, you might as well bring a spear because that's what that is. Um, so but somehow a bayonet lug is part of the definition of an assault rifle. What did manufacturers do? They started making weapons that avoided the cosmetic features and in many cases were not assault weapons even though they functioned exactly the same. So that's the intelligence. That's how brilliant it is to to deal with methodology. doesn't work. Just like it doesn't work to say, well, you can kill babies this way but not that way and somehow that saves more babies. Nope, it doesn't. Uh, So that's part of the picture there.
0: Yeah. So, it's, uh, um,
1: yeah. to wrap up, t- oh no, go ahead.
0: No, I'm good. I just it it. I shake my head every time I hear gun laws. I I shake my head because I think of <laughs> I wish that I was in a situation where I could use my you know Second Amendment rights to stop a crime. I lived in Japan, you know, one of those nations where it's hard to get a gun. I saw things all the time where they, a guy locked a, a building from the outside and lit it on fire and killed everyone inside because he was crazy. Crazy people are going to do whatever they can to do harm to someone else if they want to. It doesn't matter if it's a gun, knife, bat, or explosives, or fire. And to take away our Second Amendment rights or to strip them or make it so hard for law-abiding citizens to own a weapon, um, it, it's foolish. It really That's is right. foolish.
1: To defend themselves and their families. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It comes down to understanding that government can't solve that problem by passing a law which has unintended consequences. Now, many anti-gunners have intended consequences. They actually want to disarm law-abiding citizens because Mm -hmm. they are tyrants. Um, But that is not the case for everybody who supports gun control. Most people support gun control because they believe that will somehow reduce crime. It will somehow Mm -hmm. reduce violence. The unintended consequence is... Is that people, innocent people are unable to defend themselves, criminals know this, and so they are better able to commit uh, cr- um, violent crime. Mm-hmm. And so crime actually goes up. It is true that more guns is, equals less crime. The problem is that we're not willing to address the societal moral problems. This are the things that that cause violent crime. It is not the availability of a more or less effective weapon that causes violent crime. You don't wake up one day and find yourself shooting up a theater simply because you owned an assault weapon. And, but that is the core of the, of the anti-gun argument. And it is, it is a band-aid, a, a mental band-aid to fix a problem, a legitimate problem that, that doesn't work. It, it makes it worse. And that's the sad reality. Amen. So to wrap up today, um, we want to talk a little, little bit about the Grammys. So much fun this week. Now, ultimately, from my perspective, Dennis, I don't know what your perspective is, but people are, are objecting about, over the, uh, the, the headline show, which was a legitimately objectionable show. And we can actually talk about what has happened with the Grammys and how that's come about. Um, but my main question is, who thought that the modern American music industry was better than this? Have, have we not been watching? Have we not been paying any attention? Um, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be outraged that kind of thing is outrageous. But everyone acts like they're surprised, they're shocked that that this would be put on primetime TV. People gyrating and 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 pretending to worship Satan. Maybe they're actually worshiping him in their hearts, I don't know. But we're going to play act it out and and then act like that's somehow a change for the American the American entertainment industry. I don't know. I, what was your thought, Dennis?
0: Yeah. It's been tried so many times. You know, I saw a tweet by uh, Desi Mays, who yes. is uh, one of the hosts of Provoked uh, Podcasts, and yeah, Ozzy Osbourne, uh, Marilyn Manson, Madonna—everyone's done this. It's not original. I right. think th- the more you look into Hollywood and where Hollywood is going, and and the Grammys, especially singers, they're just redoing certain things that have been done already, and they're not doing it any better. I always said if you're going to do something. Uh, that someone was already done. It needs to be better. It needs to be just over the top. And you're seeing it go the other way. And I did see that their view their viewings went up. They had more uh, people watch this year than uh, during 2020, slightly. But man, I, I didn't watch anything. I just saw it. And, you <laughs> know, Sam Smith. Sam million. Smith. He doesn't even know if he's a man or woman, or you call him they or them. Uh, it's it's just one of those things where it's hard to watch these. Um, these public figures that so many people hold up to a standard that they're or what you should be, their, their moral standard is, uh, if you're like them, then you're correct. Um, I, I think they worship on the altar of Moloch, if you ask me, uh, that whole show is despicable. Um, but that's this is also the same people that think it's okay to kill babies. They, they think it's okay to kill babies in the womb. So uh, I it didn't catch me by surprise. This is Hollywood. I thought that's where Hollywood has gone.
1: Yeah, the, the sad reality is is waking up. Now, is it a good thing for people to watch that and be repulsed? Well, yes. I mean, you <laughs> dancing and gyrating uh, in worship to Satan is a serious problem. If you think that's a good thing, there are mental issues. There mm-hmm. are. Now, part of that, I'm going to claim that, well, we're mocking. We're mocking, right? Um, okay, we can talk about that. Um But when you have the show introduced by Madonna, Mm -hmm. who, you know, I don't, I didn't really know what she looked like before the surgery. Apparently she just had surgery. You could watch her and say that person has a lot of plastic surgery going on uh, to the point of it being scary beyond all reason to quote a cartoon that my children enjoy and that some people have grown up with. Um, But I know who Madonna is and was Mm -hmm. and what she, you know, what she promoted and she just said it. We're going to push the boundaries. This is what this is all about. We're praising a non-binary and transgender. Uh, We are called, if you are a Christian, I am a Christian, and you are called to, if you are a Christian, to love people. And sometimes that means helping them. In fact, it usually means helping them. Sometimes that means um, telling them the truth. And so we want to be careful as we approach that issue and recognize that it is mass confusion out there right now. It is hard. Um, I get that. But this is, this is a mental illness.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It, is, it is hurting people by the millions now. That's part of the reality. Yeah, it now, is. And as far you know, as the, yeah, the Grammys. I agree.
0: Oh, yeah. Go no, go ahead. No, go I, I, the Grammys used to be a family-friendly show, something that I, I remember well, watching. More with, than it is now. Yeah, I used to watch it with my, you know, my parents as a little kid because you you're, you saw the musical acts and it there was just a respect I think that has gone away and now it's let me push my agenda onto you and if you don't like it then too bad because we're gonna force you to do it. Um, Madonna, yep. I I remember as a kid seeing her and you were like, wow, look at this this beautiful woman and now when she comes out on stage it was like. Oh my goodness. Like they are, they are really, they are trying to push this from every aspect as far as even looking the part. It's no longer just talking. It's now looking the part.
1: There's a very interesting debate on that because Madonna actually got a lot of negative feedback on all of the plastic surgery, right? And something that she says, I was just reading up on it, something that she says, I don't, I, I don't oppose plastic surgery, but I oppose talking about it. And mm-hmm. so she's offended that people are talking about it. And she's complaining that, well, if I don't, you know, if if, if I don't look like a 20-year-old uh, gorgeous female, then no one loves me. Mm-hmm. That is a shocking statement. And it's so sad. Okay, why would you want to go get that kind of plastic surgery? She actually has talked about it. She said that she's enamored with how she looked 20 years ago when she was 20 or in her 20s and early 30s, right? So um, if I'm getting that age right, I honestly don't know much about Manana I found out what you know who she was through this I mean I heard of her but I didn't know what she looked like Um, she was beautiful she was a beautiful young woman and now Mm -hmm. she is a middle-aged and aging woman and she believes and she's complaining about the fact on the one hand that you have to look that way to be loved and on the other hand she's pursuing it that is that is tragic
0: isn't that sad though that to think about celebrities as they get older they're always trying to yes. look what they were. It's like, Hey, we are all one day closer to our, our existence being taken away. And, uh, you look at Tom Cruise and, and then you can compare him to people that he was in movies with 30 years ago and he looks the same right. and those people all look they're like they're 60 or in their <laughs> mid sixties. Um, and you there's, know, a, there's, yeah. there's a beautiful thing about looking your age. I have gray in my beard and I am proud of it. Uh, it, it shouldn't be a thing where I have to go dye everything. I have to go get a lip right. tuck. I have to do this and that. You're going to get old and you're going to look different and it's okay.
1: Right. Yeah. And that's where I think that gets down to why would the Grammys put that kind of satanic display It's going a song we're going to call unholy. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, why would we put that front and center? Well, it, it Part of it goes back to the reality that we have to stay in the public eye, right? We mm. have to continue pushing the boundaries. And that's what they say. They continue saying, and I don't know if that jet sound may come through for our listeners. I live at the end of a runway. Um, F-35s are taken off. Um, I enjoy it. For those of you who may not enjoy it, it'll pass. That's um, the sound of freedom. Um, but air show every day here. And we really, we enjoy it. Um, but... The idea that somehow, and they're talking about that, Madonna mentioned it, she said it in press afterward, keep pushing the boundaries, keep going. And, and what boundaries are we pushing, right? Mm-hmm. There are plenty of man-made boundaries that, uh, for example, we just talked about a lot of the restrictions that the federal government wants to put on people. Do you want to push those boundaries? Absolutely. I'm all for it. I believe in defending the Constitution. What about pushing the boundaries of, of public decency, of common decency? Right, that's something we call it common decency because there, there, there's a there's a bit of a compunction against running around naked for most of us, but that's not the perspective that's being pushed. Right, we want to normalize those kinds of we want to normalize um, blood, we want to normalize violence, we want to normalize uh, sexuality in an in an inappropriate way, not a sexuality that is highly appropriate and wonderful and lovely in, in within. The, the right context, which is marriage. And so that perspective, it got me to thinking and looking at, okay, last year the Grammys got about 9 million viewers, according to Nielsen. This year they're claiming 13 million, although I don't think Nielsen has released their ratings yet, so I'm not sure how they know. Um, I suppose they have people look at the same thing Nielsen looks at. Um, so maybe it was 13 million. That is a pitiful amount. Traditionally, the Grammys were was one of the best watched um, award mm-hmm. ceremonies. The highest was in 1984. Uh, it was 52 million, just under 52 million viewers. That is the record Grammy, but that is that was not during that era. It, it ranged from 40 to 50. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's 35, right? And now we're being told that oh man, look at that huge victory went from nine to 13. Yeah, sorry guys, that's not a victory. Now they're just going to rebuild, but how? What? What was the 1984 award ceremony? Guess who hosted it in 1984?
0: <laughs> Do you know? John Denver.
1: It was John. That's right. It was John Denver. John Denver, and one of the there were uh, oh, about 15 different acts during that award ceremony. One of them was John Denver and a Muppet <laughs> <laughs> singing together. Uh, you look at that and go, "Whoa." That is not the Grammys I know. That is not what we just watched. The rest of them, um, you had um, Chuck Berry. You had Bonnie Tyler. um, You had Donna Summer. um, You had Phil Driscoll, who is a Christian artist who played uh, the trumpet. Uh, I grew up with Phil Driscoll. I know who that was. Um, Played Amazing Grace. Um, Herbie Hancock sang Rocket. Rocket, the Oak Ridge Boys sang a love song. Uh Sheena Easton sang telephone. Uh and then it ended with the uh the song that had won an academy the uh year before from the movie Flashdance with feeling. What a feeling. Uh there was other there were other uh artists, um, but that was the 1984 Grammys. Now we can look back and say, Yeah, but that's old, that's for old people. You know, the people that are watching the Grammys now say that was my grandparents in a that was my parents' generation. I, look, I get it. I get it. It doesn't have to stay the same. But the question is, why did we go from 52 million to thinking 13 million is a win? Well, maybe it's because we're pushing boundaries that n- n- no one wants pushed, and that frankly, we sh- we shouldn't be pushing. Why on earth would we want to go there? It's because um, we hate God. Um, that's that's what Unholy was saying. That's what Unholy is saying. The song by Sam Smith. And 100%. therefore we hate Western civilization. We hate uh, American culture mm-hmm. as it, as it is. And so we want to change it. Okay. So that's the, re- that's from my perspective, that's the reality. Now you can go through, we can look at the top 10 Grammys. John um, Denver hosted four of the top 10 that the, the, the largest viewership, Kenny Rogers and Gary Shandling hosted two each Billy Crystal and a rapper named LL cool J each hosted one. And that's the top 10. Um, ranging from the 80s into the 90s. Um, but that was the zenith. Um, now, as far as who won the Grammys that year, Michael Jackson took home, I believe, eight awards in 1984. Um, now, that's fascinating to me because Michael Jackson is not someone we think of as, you know, sparkling clean, a good role model, someone whose music we like. Um, we're not sitting here saying that somehow, you know, 1984 was the golden age. Boy, we should look back at that. That's what American culture should be. No, absolutely not. That's ridiculous. First of all, there's no such thing as a golden age. Um, second, um, 1984 certainly wasn't it, even if you believe in it. Um, so do we think Michael Jackson's music is a pinnacle? No. Um, do we think it's horrible? Some of it I don't like. Some of it you could have a problem with. But you know what the interesting thing about Michael Jackson was? We all know now that he um, probably abused young boys. Mm-hmm. He was certainly caught up in that scandal. Um, that's not cool. It's not even cool to people today who want to push other types of perversion, at least to some of them. Um, But that wasn't an upside. That wasn't what Jackson was pushing. It it nearly ruined him when it came Mm -hmm. out. Now, was Jackson pushing his own boundaries? Yes, sure. He was. There were were basic moral boundaries that Jackson was pushing at, at his time. It was edgy. The Grammys were on that trajectory at that time. You could make that argument, and I would probably agree. But the difference between Sam Smith and Unholy and Michael Jackson, and I don't remember what song he won a Grammy for, or what eight songs he won Grammys for that year, um, was that Smith is pushing the perversion itself. That's the point. The point mm-hmm. is the perversion. Uh, for Jackson, yeah, that's not really the point. He was hiding that. And when it came out, it was a problem. That's the, that is the difference. And you know what? We can look at that and go, what a great thing it is that the majority of Americans just have lost interest in that.
0: Mm-hmm. We're just
1: not interested. We're not going to tune in. We're not going to tune in. Are there people tuning Sure, sure, absolutely. It's the way culture works. Culture leads the, those who create culture. Those who create expressions of culture lead the rest of the culture. It's, it's cyclical. It, they both influence one another, right? Um, that's yeah. the reality, but thank God. And that's a, That's the high note for me. Um, yeah. I want
0: to, I want to read a quote just to Grammy's on only got this. 13
1: million views this year.
0: Let me read a quote. This is from Kim Petras. I think she is a transgender. She won the award, but here's what she had to say when asked on her religious inspiration right. she, by she her was, award she show. She the other artist for Unholy, yeah. I believe. I think a lot of people honestly have kind of labeled what I stand for and what Sam stands for as a religiously not cool. And I personally grew up wondering about religion and wanting to be a part of it, but slowly realizing it didn't want me to be a part of it. That, that is such a a, a lie because she's made her own religion. She has chosen the religion of I'm a self God and she's a, he and I'm my own God. I can do what I want. And so she did choose religion. She didn't choose God. And God didn't didn't definitely throw her away uh, like she thinks so. Um, but I just find it so weird that it always comes back to, I want to stick the middle finger up at God because I'm against him. And it, it just shows you what Romans right. 3 was telling you about. It's telling you that he, he gives them up to a debased mind and they are troubled with that. People that are apart from God are so troubled by the point that they can't trick God or, or make God, uh, change to like what sin they're into at that moment. And I think that's, uh, that's where we are as a culture. We have a bunch of, uh, people who are angry at God and they don't like the way things are going. And so they're going to lash you know, lash out and and do a song like unholy, which is just, it's an abomination.
1: Well, the, the, you know, when we talk about it, I have to admit that, uh, that as a fellow human being, I have those same tendencies. Now, thank God that he has changed my heart and mm-hmm. that thanks to his actions, you look at that and go, Ugh, I do not like that. Um, but that basic rebellion against God, yeah, that's that's inside all of us. That's, mm-hmm. I have to admit that I'm a human as well. And so f- that statement from... Uh, the person who calls himself Kim Petras, who is a trans, yep, yeah, a transgender um, and has rejected the way God made him um, and now says, well, God rejected me. Okay. Um, you it, it, That's fairly hard to know. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure God didn't actually tell you that. Um, and the reality here is that you're rejecting God mm-hmm. and then turning around and saying, I hate God. Well, that is, that is a, a part of the human condition. And without the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's where we are. So whenever we get down to talking about it, this is an interesting one because that song and the entire, the way the Grammys were shaped this year, is around the opposite perspective. Unholy. Mm-hmm. Not God's. We hate God. That's what it means. Holy in the English language means set apart to God. So unholy means we hate God. Um, and of course, because this is still Western civilization, in, in order to express that, we go over and we express appreciation for and worship to Satan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's such an odd thing to do because if if you hate God and if you ask Peterson Smith, does God even exist? They're going to say, well, yeah, no. But Satan does?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Why? Why? How come Satan exists? Is the Bible true about that part? Mm-hmm. So, this is the problem. You live in a culture where everything that the the way the culture works, the good things in the culture, are successful applications of the Bible. Now, and things that don't work, yeah, there are plenty of things we can point to that our forefathers did. There's no golden age. You can talk, you can talk point to anybody. Yeah, they're fallen sinful human being uh, who screwed up. Um, so you know we can talk about that. And as a viewer, whether or not you are a Christian. The point here isn't for us to stand here and say, "Well, you know, we are going to point the finger." That's not what's going on here. That's not where we're coming from. Um, in this discussion, it's fascinating because that's the discussion that was started. The song mm-hmm. is called "Unholy," and so and the whole the whole presentation is is um, hatred towards God, and we're going to express that by worshiping Satan. Um, is it tongue-in-cheek? Well, that's the problem with breaking down any, any cultural expression. It means different things to different people. We recognize that. Um, but the primary driving impetus behind this is we're going to push these boundaries and try to lead the culture into a place uh, where murder is legal, where you can't defend yourself, where the government is going to tell you what you can cook your dinner on and what your dinner is going to be and whether or not you can put that in your body. Mm-hmm. Okay. Those things are connected. Those things are connected. The perspective that says we hate America, we hate Western culture, we hate the things that, uh, the parts of America that came from Judeo-Christian values. Yeah, okay. Uh, That's where that goes. There's a reason those things are connected. Interesting that it all happened in one week. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.